You are listening to LEC Online Church, a ministry of Lake Erie Church in Madison, Ohio. We are a multicultural, multi-generational Pentecostal church. For more information, please visit our website at lakeeriechurch.com. Now, we hope you enjoy today's message. Two weeks ago when we looked at this passage, we talked about the nine things that Paul identified as being the elements of a grateful life. I want to show them to you again. They'll be on the screen. Represent God in everything you do. Live a love-filled life. Brighten the dark world with your life. Do what pleases the Lord. Guard your heart and life. Make the most of every opportunity you have. Don't be careless with your life. Live a spirit-filled, worshiping life unto the Lord. And be thankful for everything. A couple of nights ago, the SLT leaders in our church gathered and, and we gave them this passage. And we said, look at those nine areas of your life. And where do you need to give attention? What we are learning in our leadership training is that where you give attention is what gets fixed. When you give attention to something, things get done. And I've been taking this list this month and I've been looking at each of these individual places and I've been praying, Lord, open my eyes in my own life. Help me to see the places where I need to live a more grateful life. And so we talked a couple weeks ago about several of these. I'm going to pick up a few more to finish up with today. But the idea is to, to, to uh, uh, pursue a grateful life. I'm still ringing. I don't know why we're, we're ringing, but there's a lot of feedback uh, behind me here. Maybe the monitors on the stage need to be adjusted, but there's some heavy feedback. Let's talk about a couple of things. One of the things that Paul said is, if you want to live a grateful life, you have to do what pleases the Lord. Do what pleases the Lord. Now, it may seem odd to consider this, but obedience in the eyes of God it's one of the highest forms of worship. For you to be obedient to the Lord is one of the greatest ways for you to worship the Lord. In fact, the story is told of one of the kings of Israel who disobeyed the Lord and thought that even though he had disobeyed, as long as he gave the Lord an offering, he would be all right. And he said to the prophet, I, I've, I've done that. I've given the Lord an offering. And the prophet said, listen, God would rather have your obedience than he would your sacrifice. He would rather have a heart that is rendered obedient to the Lord than to have your money. Because when we live grateful lives, we live them in obedience to the voice of the Lord. If you've been around Lake Erie uh, most of this year, you remember that I walked through with you early in the year this journey that I was on in which I felt challenged by the Lord last summer that one of the missing elements of my own prayer life was my unwillingness to listen to the Lord. That I did all the talking. I didn't do very much listening. And it, it, it changed and it revolutionized my prayer experiences. In fact, one day this week, and I love praying in this sanctuary, but I just came in and enough light so that I couldn't get hurt walking around. But I just sat in some of the seats and I just said, Lord, I, I, I steal myself here. I, I, I render myself quiet in order to hear the voice 
of the Lord. I, I did what Samuel did. Speak, Lord, for your servant is, is listening. When we, when we are obedient to the Lord, then we have a heart that wants to know what God is saying to every one of us. Several years ago, I wrote a book with my son entitled, God, I want what you want. I want what God wants. It's a heart that is obedient to the voice of the Lord. Is that the way that you feel? Do you, do you want what God wants in your life and in your heart? In fact, let's say that together. Let's say, I want what God wants. Say that for me. I want what God wants. Say it one more time. Over here on this side. Is there anybody over here that is ready to be obedient to God who would say, I want what God wants? <clears throat> because when you live the kind of life that is surrendered to God, you know what the Lord said to me while I was writing that book? I, I, it, was, it came out of a personal experience of one of my granddaughters uh, that was sick. And I, we didn't know how to pray. And her father said, I'm just praying, God, I want what you want. And I remember I was just struck by those words. And driving later, I said to God, I said, why did that bother me so much? And I just felt like the Lord said, because you don't pray that way. You don't pray I want what God wants. You pray this is what I want. This is what I want you to do for me. This is what I need. It's, it's like we think God serves us instead of us serving Him. What God wants is a heart that says, whatever happens, I want what God wants. I want what God wants for my life. Over here, somebody, somebody that truly and genuinely wants that, stand up and say, I want what God wants. I want what God wants for my life. Because that's the point. That's the point of living the grateful life. Obedience makes me sensitive to what God is doing. It causes me to live a life of surrender so that I do what pleases the Lord. Here's the second thing I want you to know. The grateful life is one that is guarded with a careful attention to your heart and your life. Paul writes in verse 15, he says, be careful how you live. Be careful how you live. And as I thought about those words, I reached out to the resident theologian of our church, Pastor Dustin. And I said, look that word careful up for me and tell me in the Greek what it means. I know what the English word careful means, but what does the Greek word careful means? He wrote back to me and said it means a more stringent word than the English word. It is a sincere diligence to care and watch for something. I think that's what Paul was saying. That because we are grateful for what God has done in our life, we are careful to guard our hearts and guard our lives in this world. And I'm telling this church, and I love you, but I tell you this with all sincerity, that there's ever been a time for believers to be careful in how we live it is today. Because we get swept up 
in this world. We get swept up in the political discourse and we start supporting things that are contrary to God's word. We start making decisions that are convenient to us and we move away from our commitment to God and his word and his house. We start chasing the things of this world, its wealth, its prosperity, the better way of life. And we begin trusting in the things of this world more than we trust in God. And to that Paul would say, be careful. Be careful how you live. Be careful what you do. Because the enemy wants to destroy. Jesus said that even the elect, meaning even good people, can be pulled away. Even good people can be drawn away by the things of this world and pulled away from those and therefore it is incumbent on us if we are grateful for what God has done with us that we would guard our hearts and our lives. A few days ago, Shelly was talking with someone I happened to overhear the conversation. You don't know this, but Shelly is a really good preacher. She just don't preach out front. She preaches to her husband and she preaches on the phone. I was was laying in the bed the other night, sound asleep, and I woke up and I'm thinking, where are those voices coming from? And Shelly's going at it. She's preaching to somebody on the phone at 2.30 in the morning. I'm like, what's going on? She said, go to sleep, just go to sleep, just go to sleep. But I heard her say something the other day on the phone and it has stuck with me like glue. She said to the woman she was talking, she said, you have to guard the oil of God's anointing that's on your life. We have to guard it. We can't take it for granted. We can't assume that just like any old day, that any old thing will happen and God will still put his anointing on our life. What we have here. Here is special. It's, it's, it's vibrant. It's, it's, it's holy. It's sacred. And the enemy wants to destroy it. He wants to destroy it in your life. And so he wants to draw you away. And it becomes necessary that we be careful. You hear what I'm saying? Careful about the way that we live. Careful about the way that we handle the things of God. Because the enemy wants to drag us away. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23. Guard your heart. Above all else, for it determines the course of your life. You have to guard and protect what God has given you. You have to guard and protect the faith that God has given to you. The Corinthian believers had this problem. They thought they could just go and do whatever they wanted to do and come back and sit at the table of God. And Paul said, it's not that way. You can't go out there and be in the, the, the uh, temple of the idols and then come and sit at the Lord's table. In another place, he said, you can't be unequally yoked. Light has no fellowship with darkness. We have to protect what God has done in our lives. Here's the third one. He says, make the most of every opportunity that you have. Make the most of every opportunity. Verse 16, he says, Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. 
If you have a King James Bible, that, that, that's where that phrase comes. Redeeming the days, the hours. Redeeming the hour for the days are evil. Redeeming the time. It's the implication of urgency. That you and I must live with an understanding that we have a small window in which we live. A small opportunity to do the work of the Lord. You're not going to live forever. You're not going to be here forever. There's not always going to be this moment. And you have to make the most of every opportunity that you are given. In a few minutes, you and I are going to walk out of these doors. And then what? What will God do with us? What does God want us to do with our lives in the next 24 hours? What opportunities is God placing in front of us? What is God calling us to do? I think sometimes, <coughs> excuse me, sometimes we fail to appreciate that much of the ministry that happens in this place doesn't happen in this building. It happens in our homes, on our jobs, in our schools. We talked about it two weeks ago that we are in fact the light of the world in a darkened place. So let me offer you these two warnings as your pastor. Two dangers that are imposing themselves on each and every one of us. Here's the first one. The temptation that you will have to compartmentalize your faith. The temptation that you will have to compartmentalize your faith. I talked about this a moment ago a little bit. But I see this more and more and I see it in some of you. That you have a Sunday life and a Monday life. And they're not compatible. Because what you do is you compartmentalize yourself. You, you compartmentalize faith and think that faith is just something that you do here at church. Faith is just something you do in your privacy, but you don't realize that you have to live it every day of your life. And the opportunities that we have to be used of God cause us to have to understand that the enemy wants us to think that we can be this here and this here. Be careful about compartmentalizing faith. I saw this a lot when I was working with students. Students especially sometimes are tempted to think that faith is something you compartmentalize. That you, you, know, you, you have this life at school, but you have a different life at home and a different life at church. And you don't, they're, they're not the same, but they are. They are the same. And he, he's either Lord of all of your life or he is not Lord of any of you. It's not possible for you to be a man or a woman of God in one place and a devil in another place. And you know, I, I, I say this with all sincerity. If, if you want to live that kind of divided life, just don't tell anybody you know us. Because it makes it hard for us to talk about Jesus if people know you like that. It makes it difficult for us to talk about faith when they know people who claim faith but don't live it. 
Here's the second danger you will face in seizing the opportunities is the, the temptation to delay or procrastinate. Kenneth Blackwelder was a pastor at a church in Wichita Falls, Texas. He got up on a particular morning and he went to the local hospital where he had some people to visit. Before he went to their rooms, he stopped by the chaplain's office. All hospitals typically have an office for the chaplain. And in most hospitals, it's not quite as much as it used to be now. Not, not as much now as it used to be, but most hospitals have a roster or a register there that pastors can use to see if someone from their church is in the hospital. So he didn't want to miss anybody, so he goes in and he's looking at the roster of the patients. And he had never noticed before that by your name there was a place where you gave an answer to the question, what religion are you? And he noticed, you know, some would put, you know, Catholic and Baptist and Pentecostal. and Then some would have none. And then others would have Presbyterian and Lutheran or whatever. And, and so the simplicity of that would simply be that the Pentecostal pastors looking for the Pentecostal people, the Baptist guy looking for Baptist people. And he said, standing there looking at that list, I heard the voice of the Lord ask this question in my mind. Who visits the nuns? And so he thought, well, that must be something the Lord wants me to do. And so he just scrolled the list to the first person that had none by it. Wrote down the information, headed off to the room. Turns out the man was in a, in a, a step-down intensive care unit. And when he inquired of the nurse, she said, you're certainly welcome to go in, but he's in a coma. He's been in a car wreck, and I don't know if he will be able to hear you or not. And so the pastor went on in anyway. The man was, you know, unresponsive. He said, I just leaned over and I whispered into his ear very quietly, you won't know me, but I'm Pastor Kenneth Blackwelder. I came across your name today and I felt like the Lord wanted me to come and pray for you. I'm going to say a simple prayer. I'm going to leave my card with the nurse. And if you should ever need me, call me. He prayed a very simple prayer. He gave the nurse his card. Promised to come back. The next morning, Kenneth is eating breakfast and the phone rang. And he picked up the phone and the nurse said, are you Mr. Blackwelder? He said, I am. He said, the man that you visited yesterday has come out of his coma and he's asking for you. He said, I'll be right there. And so he put his stuff together and took off to the hospital and went in the room. And, and without introduction, as soon as he walked in the room, the man said, I heard every word that you said yesterday. And he said, I want you to know, preacher, I've been a backslider most of my life. Now, for those of you who don't know what that term means, it's referenced often to people who have once served the Lord and quit serving the Lord, and so it's said that they've backslidden. That's what that means. 
but used to know God, doesn't know God now, doesn't serve God now. And Blackwelder said, I just cut through the tension and said, well, a man that's been a backslider that long, he probably needs to make things right with God, doesn't he? And he said, right there in that room, I prayed a sinner's prayer, and this man gave his heart back to God and made a commitment that he would come to church the next time, as soon as he got out of the hospital, as soon as he was able to come. A day or so passed by, and Blackwelder was back at the hospital again, and so he swung by the room, and not finding the man in the room, thinking he'd been moved to a, a different room, he said to the nurse, he said, uh, where, what room has this gentleman been moved to? And she said, I'm so sorry, Pastor. Someone should have let you know he died yesterday. I heard, I heard Blackwell, he said, he said to the group I was with, he said, what if I had not been sensitive that morning to what the Lord was saying to me in that chaplain's office? You see, what I want for Lake Erie, what I want for every one of you, I don't want to scare you with this, but what I want for every one of you is that God would give us a fresh sensitivity about how He has positioned us in this world. That we are working the job that God put us in. That we're living in the house that God gave us. That we have the relationships that God has arranged so that we could be ready when the opportunity was there and we would take advantage of that opportunity for the glory of God. Making, making sure that we understand that we only have a few more days. We all heard Pastor Mr. Darnell say last week, prophetically, the next thing on God's calendar is the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church. And yet there's so many of us that know people, we have family, people that we love, who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Where is our urgency? about their salvation. Where is our urgency and our passion that God would use us in that moment of opportunity that he's going to present? And would we recognize it when it happens? I'm going to close with this. And Jerome, get the team ready to sing. The last piece of that passage which stands out so strongly to me. He says, and I know people quote this verse all the time. Don't be drunk with wine. It'll, it'll destroy your life. That's not the most important part of that verse. The most important part of that verse is the part that says, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Do you know on one, one single Sunday morning here, one single Sunday morning, God filled 25 people, seekers in this altar with the Holy Spirit because it is the will of God that we be filled with the Spirit. And I know people are scared and some people get freaked out about it. And they, but listen, there's nothing to be afraid of for God to fill every person with the Holy Spirit. It is the empowerment to do the work of ministry. It is the unction that God gives us to be able to do what it is that God wants us to do. He said to the disciples, he said, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will become a witness. If we are to seize our opportunities, if we are to be a people who are grateful for what God has done in us, we need God to fill us with his Spirit and cause us to live a 
thankful life. A thankful life. You know, one of the saddest stories in the scripture is the story told of ten lepers who came to Jesus needing to be healed. And Jesus told them to go and show themselves to the priest. And the Bible said, as they went, they were all healed. Can you imagine that? Ten leprous men walking away and as they're walking toward the temple in obedience to what Jesus said they should do, they were instantly healed. One of them, one, came back to Jesus and fell at his feet to offer praise and thanksgiving to him. And Jesus said, where are the nine? You ever wonder if God still, Jesus still says that? He looks at some of us. And he sees that we are not thankful. That we don't recognize how good God has been to us. We don't pause to offer thanksgiving to the Lord. And it's not because we're arrogant. It's because we're insensitive. We're insensitive. You know, I... Oh, I could get in trouble. But I'll, I'll, I'll be very careful. I'll say this carefully. And if I get messed... Steve, you'll have to get me out later. You ever open the door for a woman that wouldn't say thank you? Most, most women, instinctively. I, I always try to open doors. And, and, and instinctively, a woman will say thank you. Thank you. Every once in a while. Is it because she's not thankful? No, I don't think that. She's not paying attention. Somebody opened the door for you. You weren't paying attention. I, I don't think people are just, I mean, maybe, I, maybe I'm just too optimistic about life, but I just don't think people are just arrogant. I just think they're not paying attention. They think somehow or another, as the, as the, the writer, in, uh, as Moses said to the children of Israel, he said, don't get over there and think that you did all this on your own. When you get your houses and your land, and your families, don't start thinking, I did this. But remember, it is the Lord who did this for you. It was the Lord that gave you life. It was the Lord that gave you what you have. It was the Lord that put food on your table. It was the Lord that put clothes on your back. It was the Lord that gave you the strength to work so you could buy a car, have a house, have a family. It's the Lord. It's always been the Lord. Not a thing of my own. Nothing that I could do on my own. It's always been Him. Oh, Woo, Hallelujah. Without Him, nothing. Without Him, I'm nothing. Without Him, I don't have anything. The moment that He takes His blessings off of my life, I go back to zero. I'm not made by myself. I'm not made on my own. I am who I am by the grace of God. Woo. Hallelujah. By the grace of God, I am what I am today. Filled with the Spirit, 
worshiping, he said, singing psalms and spiritual hymns unto the Lord. I may not be this church's best singer, but I'm one of its most eager singers. I sing all the time. In fact, I get teased a lot by my family. Sometimes I just make them up. They don't rhyme. They don't make sense. But they're coming out of my heart. There's a joy. Oh, I come on, somebody. There's a song in my heart that says, He saved me. He made me who I am. And I'm grateful for it today. We hope you were blessed by today's message. Now, we invite you to visit one of our services soon. For more information, please visit us at lakeeriechurch.com.